You're listening to Grace Geltman and Weld on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. You want to leave the public land stuff out, Lewis? There was no talk of that at Outdoor Retailer Show. I mean... Oh, we can talk about it. I mean, that's what, that's what I'm there for, you know? But I just, I feel like I didn't really spend enough time in there to really get the, you know, vibe on the floor or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, dude, people are fired up. We're gonna fuck shit up this year. We good. That's kind of the mentality. We're going to fuck shit up. God, dude. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting sick through the internet. You guys ready to go? Yeah, let's just do it. We I've talk never been more prepared for Hammer Factor. Uh, welcome to Hammer Factor episode 42. Needy no introduction, North Fork champion, policy director for Outdoor Alliance and Poker Play Maverick. Uh, I'd like to welcome Lewis Geltman, show host, back for another episode. As well, Whitewater legend, co-owner of Immersion Research and unicyclist enthusiast, John Weld. Guys, 42 episodes. And this, this is, I've never been more prepared for a show than I am today. That's saying a lot. Like you call, you sent me a text like 20 minutes ago saying we're going to be on in a minute. I'm like, what are you talking about? <clears throat> well, now I got to say, our Lewis was ready. He knew the time and date. Olaf Albsommer, um knew the time and date. I knew the time and date. So maybe it wasn't my fault. No, this time it was not your fault. Um, 100% mine. Big show this week. We've got. Uh, Olaf Obsheimer, who's the uh, kind of the the I don't know what do you say I, the organizer of the Sick Line Extreme World Championship, he will be coming on. We have a lot of viewer mail. We have, I mean, what do you guys think about these viewer mails? How many of these viewer mails do I go through here? Let's do them all. Okay, here's here's what I think. I think Rush, if you're listening, and I know you are, uh, <laughs> could you please record us a viewer mail wrap in fact if you just give me like a how, how do you do it? the syncopation or the words or however you do it like the syllables i will write the lyrics oh it'll be rushed or just featuring j-dub <laughs> <laughs> i like oh, it oh man <laughs> I, I like where this is heading <clears throat> um so give me a shout rush we'll, we'll get working on this all right, there you go. So let's get right into it here. Lewis, you just got uh, back scouting out the outdoor retailer show. Um, what was everybody saying about the Hammer Factor, and what was the vibe at Denver this year? Man, well, it was winter OR, so those guys are probably not quite as, as hip to the goings-on in the, the world of podcasts as you know the folks in the summer are. I don't really know what's going on with the winter guys. A lot of flat brim hats and jacked up trucks and whatnot. It's the uh, the ski industry has their trade show now alongside Winter OR. But it was just it's like... It's sort of the alt-right of the outdoor community, would you say? If you think that being an outdoorsman is about uh, hanging out in whiff lines at like the park at Heavenly or something like that, these guys have got you covered. Hmm. <laughs> but no, All it was right. good. It Bring was on good. the hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> Here it comes. The whole snow in- um, industry. Man, I've already gotten into enough dust ups with the ski industry in the last year to <laughs> last me a while, but might as well twist the knife a little deeper. Um, 
I don't know. It was good. I was there for like like not even 24 hours and basically like barely set foot on the show floor. So I mean, was I it worth your time? I mean, seriously, it sounds like it was. I mean, it would have been better for me to be there longer. I, I had to be in Montana for this training thing all last week, and so I, we had a we had like an away event there Friday night that I definitely wanted to be there for. And you know, at that point, it doesn't cost anything to like basically stop in Denver on the way home. So. But it was worth my time. We have a ton of good industry partners. Everybody is, you know, super fired up to keep up the fight in 2018. And, you know, I don't know, like Adam made some good remarks at our, at our happy hour. And his point was, you know, five years from now, let's not, let's not look back and be like, oh, yeah, remember when we moved the trade show? That was cool. Like, this needs to be the beginning, not the end of kind of engaging the the outdoor industry and fighting for public land. So I think we're stoked about where things are headed and it's going to be good. Before we, before we get into a couple of headlines here that I plucked off of the internet, how was the, how was the, uh, cannabis footprint? Dude, I mean, between Oregon and Washington, it would be weird if I went somewhere now and they weren't selling legal weed, so it doesn't even <laughs> register with me. I mean, did, was they don't it... sell weed everywhere where you live? <laughs> no, unfortunately they don't. <laughs> But I mean, was it were there like you know like cannabis vendors in the show, or was it still just like ski goggles and that kind of thing? Uh, I, I did not notice anything particularly cannabis related. No cannabis T-shirts, nothing. I mean, there probably were some people walking around in weed T-shirts, but that was probably true in Salt Lake too, you know. <laughs> Okay, so a couple couple headlines I plucked out here. The first one is uh, this this came out of USA Today. It says sales of the outdoor equipment uh, slump, um, habits shift due to to millennials. Did you guys have a chance to read this article? Do you have any comment? I mean, I feel like that story is about fifteen years old at this point. <laughs> Do you it's think not millennials? I mean... It's it's Americans. I think <laughs> you could just scratch out millennials and put Americans. Yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it's sorry to interrupt, Lewis, but like at the show, are are people talking about this? Is this something that you know you you that that is on display, or is this just the same recycled argument from 1984? I mean, I think there's some truth to it. I mean, I think that there's plenty of people who just want to get outside to take a picture of it and on and put it on Instagram, but I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of with Weld. I feel like it's. I mean, the point of this article is that millennials are all a bunch of cupcakes and they only want basically like, you know, the Coleman sleeping bag you can buy at Walmart, but rebranded with something that looks sexy in your social media picture or something when you're taking your fake waking up and drinking coffee selfie on the side of some lake that you hopefully didn't camp next to. I mean, it's no surprise Americans are getting fatter and doing less. I mean, that we know that. And I think the other thing is, is if, you're to go around and ask outdoor retailers how the industry's doing. They probably you'd probably hear a fair amount of negative reaction from from retailers. But you know that that's not a great indication of uh, that's it's hard to conclude that that millennials are to blame for a, a down a recent downturn in outdoor activity. You know, I'm not sure if I see causality there. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean you think millennials are less stoked on the outdoors than like baby boomers? Like, I don't know. That seems ridiculous to me. 
it's just different, you know. People's tastes change, times change. I, I don't see it as being some like existential threat to the industry. That I don't know. It just seems silly to me. Well, on a but what I took, what I mainly took out of that was that whoever it was who's writing for USA Today thinks that Demboy's media cartel is a bunch of <laughs> or cast ahead. Clearly, they were talking to Demboy's media cartel. That, that's the point. We'll, we'll get to Jake's email to us here in a little bit. But on a, on a you know a flip side of that argument, there's some quotes, and, and this, this will be in the show notes, so go to the show notes if you want to check out this link. But it talks about... Uh, Millennials are no longer interested in the most rugged uh, gear or the highest performing. Could it be the outdoor industry has just went too far with buckles, straps, lightness, and whatever, and people are just like, huh, I don't need that. Do they have to blame it on a group, or could it be that like there's just this over-technicality of gear going on out? On the show I mean, I think that's, I mean, I think that's valid, is that people are realizing that you don't need the same thing that you need to climb Everest in order to go car camping. And it's like, you know, there's always going to be a place for high end technical gear and there's going to be a place for, you know, Coleman sleeping bags. Yeah. That's what I, I mean, my own very informal, uh, survey would suggest that paddle sports are doing quite well among millennials, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I think I, I've been preaching this for the past five or six years. I think Whitewater is on the up and up, man. I think uh, I think there's another heyday of Whitewater coming up, but what do I know? Um, another article, real quick, that relates to outdoor retailer. I'd love to get your opinion on this. Comes out of the Washington Post. Public lands and politics, uh, pretty much at the forefront of everything going on at Salt Lake. Is this fake news? Salt Lake. Or is this real? I mean. Denver. I know, right? Yeah. Is this, yeah, geez. Tough one. I mean, 15 years of getting it ingrained in my head. Is this fake news or is this real news? Was it, was it for, was, was, uh, was this public land fight? Was it on the forefront of the show? Did you see it everywhere you went or was it just talked about, talked about behind closed doors? I mean, it, it was a little hard for me to say this time around because I just spent so little time there and the time that I was there was in meetings where that's all we're talking about as per usual. But I mean, I mean, like, certainly, like when we were in Salt Lake, John, like, didn't you feel like it was very much like at the front of everything out there? For sure. But let me let me let me phrase the question this way. Do you, it, you, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, the Trump administration's ha- there's a lot of conflict going on, like big there's major, major fronts to the battle against Trump. Right. Yes. Uh, and you could name, say, six or eight or ten. How big is public land and how big of an issue is that nationwide? You know, I mean, that's a harder thing for me to put my front on my finger on the pulse of, you know, like is, is public lands a bigger fight than immigration reform? Like I, I can't no, answer that I question. Mean, but... Immigration reform. No, I, I mean, obviously not, but I mean, is it top three or four? I mean, when you go, I mean, when you go to speak to these, to our representatives, I mean, this is something that they're thinking about and it's important. That's an issue they have to deal with. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the, you know, one measure of that was when you look at the government shutdown a week ago and it was a priority for Zinke to figure out how to keep the parks open while this was happening because they know that, you know, having accessible public lands is one of the most popular things that government does and they're going to take a lot of heat if they close the parks. That's right. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is that, you know, if if the country has two sides to it, and I think a lot of people would say that, that we do have two sides that, 
public lands is one of those places that you have two very diametrically opposed sides and they're very passionate and they're quite sizable. I, I, I would actually kind of disagree with that. I think that the unity around protecting public lands in terms of, you know, constituents is, mm-hmm. is pretty robust. You know, we have a really bipartisan membership. There's a lot of support just, you know, from average. So is this like gun control there? You have a yeah, I mean, I think it is. Favor of it and you just have huge lobbying groups that are just not going to hear it? That's my my feeling very much, yeah, is that there's just... I mean, it's not they're not going to hear it, but that, you know, it's on the one hand, there's the people who are actually enjoying these places have a wide array of political views, but I think they're all generally pretty united in protecting public lands. So when you look at polling, you know, conservation is, like, quite popular, and you know we're, what we're up against is a handful of you know deeply entrenched industries that have you know the ability to move the needle in, in DC in a different yeah. way than we do. But we you still, have rogue, rogue ranchers out there just making a lot of noise and getting a lot of attention and maybe outsizing. I mean, those guys are, are just you know a minority of a minority, and I you know the people out there who are like like waving the flag and cheering for Clyde and Bundy. I mean, yeah, they exist, but they're, they're crazies, you know, that's not, that's not a mainstream viewpoint. And it's just something that's, you know, very, uh, flamboyant and gets attention. Should we get into a little of your mail? Cue Russia's rap music. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get right into Josh McNaughton's email here. It says, good morning, hammer factor. Waking up to our lovely political reality helps me to understand why Lewis has been dropping F-bombs like a drunken sailor on a recent episodes. Zinky sups, question mark. Grace, as a paddleboard enthusiast, I thought you'd at least defend SUP as a partner user group, like climbing, mountain biking, etc., in our fight to defend public lands. If we... If we have to throw SUP under the bus in order to make an anti-Zinky t-shirt, could we at least put a dog collar on Zinky with a few poop bags hanging off of it? Whether you, <laughs> whether you love SUP or not, I think we'd all like to see that in the final design. Okay, I want to ja- jump back into the Jackson debate just for a, a bit. Weld claiming that Jackson Kayak doesn't take Whitewater seriously cannot stand. I don't even need to elaborate because the statement is simply ridiculous. Why does EJ, the most influential kayaker of all time, get so much pushback? What fuels all the haters out there? I'll offer up EJ's selfie that accompanies his fitness article in Kayak Session. If you don't know what I'm talking about, his KS articles have a shirtless EJ selfie in a mirror after working out. It's totally unnecessary ego trip to remind the kayaking world that old man Jackson is completely ripped. We get it, EJ. Please put your shirt back on. Finally, a suggestion for show content. I'd love to hear an expedition storytelling segment. Wild firsties on now classic sections told by members of the early descents. We've gotten little pieces from some of your guests, but nothing beats hearing about good old kayaking epic. How about get Hillicky in to talk about the middle kings of the day, or how about some legendary ladies who have been part of some classic explorations? I agree we don't need a ladies-only show, but I would love to hear some more of the female badasses out there. Thanks again, guys. Well, he's right about that, and he's desperately wrong with the other two. And it, in fact, to such a degree that I would advise Josh that he's probably listening to the wrong podcast and he shouldn't listen anymore. There you go. 
<laughs> Where are you going with that one, Walt? <laughs> Uh, no, okay, where do you want to start? Well, let's start with the EJ comment, because this was squarely put on your shoulders, and then I'll go into uh, the offensive shirt that we put on Facebook. So, All right, let's uh, let's turn back the hands of time to uh, last week, or was it two weeks ago, when I made this comment that was that we need, our, our, our industry right now is being led, from a branding and marketing standpoint, being led for a bunch of companies who are obviously much better funded than core companies. But being led by a bunch of companies who don't prioritize white water, right? And yep. Jackson's one of those companies. Um, and and I, let me let me let me start let me let me start this I, argument. I have on this, but I'm gonna I'll let you finish there, Wells. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna let you. First of all, I'm gonna point out by 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 mentioning, and we can draw many conclusions from this, but mentioning that there has never been in the United States a standalone white water kayak manufacturer last, right? Not Dagger. Not WaveSport, not Perception, not Liquid Logic, not Jackson, none of them. Now, there could be a bunch of reasons for that, ranging from mismanagement, difficult marketplace, to whatever, but I'm just saying it's never happened. All these guys at some point needed to be acquired to, or gone out of business uh, in order, you know, they need to get acquired to stay in business. And Jax was no exception to that. Now, you guys remember that when Jackson started this company, EJ, that is, he was passionate about making this a whitewater only company, right? Which he did for many years. And as far and, and as he himself said uh, on Boater Talk uh, a number of years ago, that they were hemorrhaging cash in the pursuit of this, right? And so you'd have to get EJ to come on to explain exactly what happened financially. But they they brought a bunch of people in to help out and. And they immediately started focusing on fishing kayaks and, and other things like recreational kayaks to a degree which uh, EJ stopped going to outdoor retailer or he had a very, very reduced presence there. Uh, they had very few whitewater boats there. It was almost all uh, fishing kayaks. That obviously is a bulk of their promotion and and, and uh, marketing money goes into that kind of thing. If you don't believe me, take a look at EJ now who is basically a professional bass fisherman. But so here's the thing. I mean, I, I everything you're saying is totally true. But what could you, every, what could every, more what could better demonstrate your uh, commitment to whitewater than continuing to pursue something that has is, a, is an absolute financial black hole? You know, it's like they're, they're like well, you're it, totally it, right. But it's like they're make, making oh, make anyway. almost no money from this, but uh, it's part of our it's part of our brand and it's good for our, our marketing and. Um, EJ probably has some degree of equity in the business and insists they keep making whitewater boats. Um, right. I mean, I think that's doing it. I don't think it's. I, I don't think that's true. I mean, I bet you if they just cut whitewater altogether and just stop making whitewater boats, it would probably be a more financially viable business. I, mean, I, I don't I, think that it bears any. And to me, that's like that's the thing. It's like if you're making boats when you're losing money at it or breaking even at it, it has no relation to anything else. And basically the rest of your business just exists to finance making an unreasonable number of whitewater kayaks every year. I mean, what's more committing than that? Well, my original point was that, that as a, I wanted to see more standalone whitewater companies that did nothing but whitewater to help have a say in uh, how our, how our sport is marketed and branded. That's all. Yeah, that's I, I think these bigger I mean, companies, these bigger companies, have to pass all these white, all the everything they do white water wise through some kind of PR company or marketing company that obviously has, you know, many many other things of interest. I see your point there, but that's not w the way you phrased it. You know, basically you were saying that they 
that Jackson Kayak was not a legitimate whitewater brand. And I don't know how you can say that if you're looking at Dane, Jackson's you're looking at Emily, Jackson's, you're looking at EJ, you know, like. They're a legitimate whitewater brand, but as a company, I mean, what percentage what percentage of their income comes from, their revenue comes from whitewater? Let me ask you this, John. There was a period in IR's, there was a period in IR's past when you had a very big, product line a lot of different SKUs, colors you were developing products for the sea kayaking world and whatnot and there was a time when you you figured out a way to make money and exist your business on whitewater how did you do that like what advice would you offer to these companies that are trying to expand to balance the sheet rather than you kind of niche down man that's a really tough question to answer because there's a lot there's a lot involved with the answer to answer that uh and I've, I've answered this question a bunch of different ways before. Um, but you, I think I've made this point in some degree in other, in other episodes. But when we first started IR back in the 90s and the, gro- the growth we were seeing, and this was true for all the whitewater companies, we honestly thought we were going to be a $10 million company in a few years. And, and we were growing that fast. I mean, I went from our basement to having 50 employees in something like three years or four years. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. Uh, and Dagger was doing the same thing, and Waste Words doing the same thing, and Perception was doing the same thing, and and it was crazy, you know. And then when that crashed in 2002 or 2003, it, we suddenly started scrambling to think about how we could keep a hold of that $10 million dream. And we started thinking about how to expand into other sports, uh, like sea kayaking or apparel or all these things. Um, and for a bunch of reasons, it, it didn't work. Um but I think the core, I mean, one of the core reasons was that, A, at some point I realized it just, I didn't need that headache. I didn't want to do that kind of stuff. And it's because I was a, I was a whitewater kayaker. That's what I was. That's what I was really interested in. It's hard to make stuff that you're not really interested in making, you know. But I think, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think IR makes gear not for strictly for whitewater kayakers, but for anybody who paddles in really lousy conditions, typically that needs expensive gear to do so. Um, and that does incorporate sea kayakers. Uh, but I just think there's more whitewater kayakers out there kayaking in lousy conditions than there are sea kayakers. Um, it, with the exception of like Pacific Northwest, where I think every sea kayaker paddles in lousy conditions. Um, but you know, there there was there used to be. I say that because this is a complicated question. But I say that because ten years ago there was a gigantic recreational sea kayak market with these like sixteen foot plastic tsunami kayaks and stuff like that that just doesn't exist anymore. You know, or if they do, they they only buy sunblock and a hat. They don't really buy expensive kayaking gear. Oh, I hear you there. Oh. Well, so I don't know. I, I struggle with this a lot because I really want Whitewater to have a, an image. I think it's an awesome image. You know what I mean? We touched on this. I think that Whitewater is is a tough sport. I've taught kayaking for a long time, and I honestly feel like it's okay to say, you know what, Whitewater is not for you. You you know what I mean? There's just some people out there. You're just like, you're not gonna like this. If you flip over and you're scared out of your frigging mind, no matter what conditions you're in, it's just not the right sport for you. And there's no reason to force it. And it's not like skiing. People say like, well, if we just did this, this, and this, Whitewater could be as big as skiing. Whitewater will never be as big as skiing because huge numbers of people are looking at kayaking thinking that is crazy and honestly they could be kind of right i mean it is kind of crazy when you think about the stuff that we do we're definitely a unique breed you know and i think there should be companies out there embracing that not running away from it and i think a lot of these bigger brands are trying to make kayaking you know into a much broader sport and watering it down 
And it doesn't really work. And that's why they leap on a stuff like SUP. Because they're like, good God, here's what we've, we've always wanted to have happen in Sports <laughs> with something that everybody could do. And they need no education. And it's completely user-friendly. That's the exact opposite of Whitewater. You know what I mean? Whitewater is yeah. terrifying the first time you do it. It's not for everybody. And uh, it's a really tough sport to learn. I mean, I guess to me the question is, like, to what end, right? Like, to what end do we care about burnishing our public image? You know, it's like if this, if it keeps it, if like if kayaking is not cool and the people who go kayaking are going kayaking because they legitimately love it, not because they expect somebody on the internet to tell them how cool they are, like that's all for the good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I, th- I think kayak is a great sport, and and I, I think it's great for some people. You know what I mean? I think we could do. I think we could we could embrace the eclectic, difficult nature of kayaking and broadcast that better and find the people in this country who love that kind of thing who haven't really thought about kayaking as a sport for them, but it's actually a perfect match for them. You, you know what I mean? Now you, that I agree with. Yeah, I will I will not agree with your with your with your comment that the Jacksons are not a legitimate whitewater brand, but that is one hundred percent the truth. No, I never it's said time, Jackson's not a legitimate whitewater brand. It's time for Whitewater to take on its own identity and understand and celebrate that it's a special breed of, breed of people that do it. So um anyway, you did say that. Mr. Weld. Lewis, did you hear that? On that episode? when when Weld hating on Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. (laughs) Do not hate on Jackson. (laughs) Listen, EJ did what he needed to do to stay alive and feed his family. Well, I think, you know, I think, I mean, we're inside baseball here in the Hammer Factor, so I'll just say it anyway. What happens is you take out a loan and the bank is like, look, if you know, on this balance sheet, where is the money going to come from, or where is the growth going to come from? And if you don't come up with an answer, it's not a good position to be in. So I think that's what a lot of people get in. I mean, I think it just comes back oh, I agree. to the loan. You know, I agree. People are like, "You should make X, Y, and Z." I'm like, "Great! I'll tell you what. You put a mortgage in your house. Give me all the money, and we'll make it. I'll give you the 10 percent profit from that. And if you don't sell, we don't sell any of these things. Well, then you lose your house. That's, that's the that's the math we run into. Here's another question." For everyone out there, right? It, it is true. There has never been a standalone whitewater boat company in this country, right? Yep. Never one to make the make the long haul, like last for for more than say five or six years. Why is that? Man, you know that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I, you possible? know what it is? I think I think I think it's completely possible for there to be a standalone whitewater boat company in this country. But I know from experience it, it's gonna have to be super lean. Super lean. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. It's gonna have to be super lean and they're always gonna battle the injection of cash. You know? Like someone who has a a lot of money coming in from the bank that has a balance sheet that says there's gonna be all this incredible growth, which is not gonna happen. And they're going to be flooding yeah. the market with all kinds of products, no, and they have to. You're wrong about that. You're you... wrong about that. No, I'm right. Why? Because there is there is nobody who's putting money into Whitewater willingly. But they're, they're getting pu- they're getting they're getting wor- they're getting grandfathered into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they're putting money into these companies that make Whitewater boats, and they're. They have a dream sheet that says they're going to sell X number of kayaks, and so they produce them, and at some point they put them on the market. But I agree with you. We're saying the same thing. The company that's going to make it is going to have to be incredibly lean to to withstand that constant onslaught of just the endless number of boats that are coming on the market. 
I mean, maybe it's just that the kind of people who are really hyper motivated to start a new kayaking company are young, you know, young people who just don't have a ton of experience in doing this and are just inevitably going to make the mistakes that are going to lead to needing to get bailed out by fishing kayaks. Right. I mean, you would need, I mean, I think you would need, you, you're not going to get, no one's going to invest in whitewater kayaks. That's way too risky. You know what I mean? You have to be crazy to invest in a whitewater kayak company because you're going to lose your shirt, most likely. I mean, specifically speaking, there's a 100% chance you're going to lose everything if you invest in a whitewater kayak company. And those by some crazy chance, they get bought out by someone making stand-up paddle boards. Right? You'd need someone with a lot of money who, uh, like some kid with with really rich parents or rich family who can sign on a 5 or $10 million loan to buy a bunch of rotomolding equipment. You know, well, can we switch gears to the offensive shirt? And this is a shirt that Lewis prompted. I put it on the Facebook page. It looks like everybody's loving it. I find it offensive. Did you guys see the shirt? What shirt's this? The uh, Zinky Sups shirt that Andrew why Miller. It, why is this offensive? I mean, as an SUP enthusiast, I'm like, what is, what is what's the message there? You know, and so I'm not sure if I'm Zinky or I'm the supper. This joke know. is dead on arrival. Right. Let's move right over to uh, uh, bad fish. <laughs> the, I don't think the bad fish is for public consumption, but you can go ahead and put it out there. Here we go. We're getting ready to lose our first sponsor on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, John. <laughs> I didn't get the email. You did. <laughs> well, I don't have it in front of me, but go ahead and read it if you have it. Uh, I don't. I told you. I'm not prepared at all for the podcast. All right. Well, this comes in from Greg Schwindinger. Love that last name. I got it. (laughs) God, just as soon as I try and switch gears, Weld comes, or Lewis comes and brings me back. All right, what do we got? From Mike Harvey. Hey, John, I was wondering if you could send along your sponsorship package. I'm officially interested in what it would take for Badfish to become the official whitewater paddleboard of John Weld. (laughs) Of the most recent show, the statistics guy was the most helpful info I've ever heard by any media outlet ever. Also, Weld's rant was the second greatest thing I've ever heard after the statistics guy. Thank you for what you do, Mike. So, Weld, how much does it take, buddy? Oh, I, I, I could be the official spokesperson for Bad Fish SVP. Fifty bucks. Uh, <laughs> I can think of a bunch of smart-ass things to say. To uh, I thought that was priceless. I really, I really appreciated yeah. that that email. Can we get into some serious business here from Greg Schwindinger? Schwindinger. Hey, guys. I enjoy the pods and appreciate your efforts to bring a wide variety of topics. I've got a question that I think is above the the pay grade of pretty much any other kayaking panel out there. How do you keep your tubes of Aquasil from drying up? Thanks. From Greg at Mayan Whitewater in Guatemala. How do you keep- Are you ready for the answer? Yeah. Put it in the freezer. Next question. Bam. Um, this comes from Lydia Wing. Hey, squad. Thanks for putting out great content and thoughtful conversation. I'm curious if you've discussed looping in a regular female co-host to join every episode. I like the takeover episodes and all, but I feel like the conversation can be more dy- dynamic and organic by having a diverse group of co-hosts regularly. 
I like that the current hosts have been in the industry for a long time, retail design, competition, expedition, etc. And surely there are some females that can add to that conversation. I think it would be cool to sink out an OG female boater who could regularly join the podcast with the current crew. Thanks for all you do. I enjoy tuning in, tuning in each episode. Salud. Man, I wholeheartedly agree that we need some more ladies on this show. Um, I have some misgivings about expanding the regular lineup to four people, but I think we absolutely have to have more women on. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd agree with Lewis with that 100%. I agree 100% too. And I responded back to Lydia and, and let her know we're working on it. So I I got that message and immediately I contacted, I was like, who better than Nikki Kelly <clears throat> to be on the Hammer Factor? Right? And Next girlfriend. And she agreed. Now you're going to get me. John Grace, not me. <laughs> and I she... would love to talk to Nikki Kelly about you, to be honest. <laughs> this would be great. What would you want to talk to Nikki Kelly about me about? Like... Oh, where would I begin? Oh, I'd be like, what attracted you to John Grace? Speaking of which, my mother-in-law, Kara's mother, loves you. What? By the way. She thinks you are the hottest thing on earth. And I'm like, how does she know me? He, I mean, he looks like a lesbian tennis player from the 70s. What is there like? <laughs> so but anyway, Nick, Nick, Nikki responded back. She's all about it. The only problem is she lives in New Zealand, so it's a 12-hour time difference. But she's all about it. So, Hey, yeah. I got a question for you. For me? You, Yeah, you. Okay. You did a very noteworthy kayak I'm, a, I'm not sure it was an expedition but a, 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 a the seven rivers i mean what would you you call that a, a kayaking trip a dream kayaking trip yeah you guys did in a nutshell what's the seven river you did this you and daniel and well we did a lot more rivers than the actual seven rivers on that kayaking trip but let's see it was the north fork of the american dinky creek north fork of the mccallamy um, Fantasy Falls. Uh, we did West Cherry Creek, Upper Cherry Creek, Creek, Middle Fork of the San Joaquin, um, Middle Fork of the Kings, and Grand Canyon of the Tuolumne. Wait, that's eight. Right. Take West Cherry out of there. We didn't count that one. Back to back. You guys did this all in one one go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, right. We back. And Nikki was on this trip. Yep, she was there for every one. And you guys were dating. Yes, at the time. We, yes, we were. Weird dynamic, or how did that play out? I mean, a bunch of dudes, and then you and Nikki. Well, number one, all the dudes were really good. We were all really good friends with Nikki, and if you know Nikki, she can hold her own in a group of guys. So it's not she's not easily intimidated, and uh, it was a great it was a great dynamic. I mean, no me too moments out there with the with the guys and Nikki. <laughs> That's funny. When we get Nikki, when we get Nikki on the show, you can ask her about all that. Okay. Oh, because that and more. Because she'll, that she'll, and more. Can we just have her on the show and not you? Yeah. Be... <laughs> yeah. I appreciate your. We, got uh... a, we had we had you and I, Grace, had some weird argument following that Seven Rivers expedition, and I can't remember what it was, but it involved Daniel. But you you called me one day and you were lit up like really pissed about something we were trying to sell the dvd or something like that do you remember this i don't but i don't doubt it you know there's like anyway a lot of dumb shit i do um all right 
All right, this one goes out to. Um, this one is a reference to a little bit of Lewis reference. This is from Andrew Palin. Hey, y'all. I was just wondering what y'all think the best place to go kayaking and get a college education is. I heard Lewis throwing around Bellingham, uh, but also places like Cullowhee and Clem Clemson sound sick. Maybe it'll just be a rehash of last week's discussion, but I'd be interested as a high school student to hear your opinions. So, first of all, just remember we have high school students listening to this show. Mm. That's mm. a burden. Potty mouth, Lewis. <sighs> Move to Asheville, Andrew. Come on. <laughs> well, okay, you guys have Western North Carolina, right? Yep, we do. And we've, got, mean, and we've got UNC Asheville. All right. There are just so many factors that go into that. It's just so hard to know where to even start, you know? It's like financial what you want to do like what you want to go to school for i mean it's just really hard to say i mean if you just want to go on a four-year vacation and go kayaking all the time like yeah go to bellingham probably but, bellingham is the weather i mean it is raining in bellingham 250 days a year i mean it is a blanket of clouds and rain well when did you get so soft <laughs> that's exactly what i was getting i'm just say. saying i mean that that wears on you you know what i mean dude I don't know what happened to you, man. Andrew, Asheville's got your name written all over it. <laughs> I would say Asheville would be hard to beat, to be honest. But the problem, with Asheville, the problem with Asheville is he's just going to be one of those green elitist, you know what I mean? Like The problem with Asheville is that everything you want to do that's not a backyard run is on the other side of the country. It's like you go to the Northwest and you have a long season and then you can drive to BC, you can drive to Cali, you can drive yeah. to Idaho and all those places have shorter seasons. But like when they're going, that's the best place in the world. That's like exactly where you want to be. He's right. And if you're, you know, like for me, I can do a long weekend trip down to California. Like no problem. What, what's you know, in Whistler um, seven hours away, Norfolk of the pants, six hours away. I mean, what's, what's in Eugene? What university is there? University of Oregon. Ooh, that could be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. The paddling down there is, you're going to be driving up to the gorge a lot. How far is that? Uh, it's probably four hours. Ooh. I mean, what's the nearest university to you guys? Uh, Like Lewis and Clark and Reed and Portland State are in Portland. You went to Lewis and Clark, didn't you? Uh, For law school, yeah. Mm. Their undergrad campus is just lovely. It looks like a country club up there. So Lewis and Clark, <laughs> is that our answer? Yeah, or I don't know, maybe like Simon Fraser C or somewhere like that. That'd be sick. You have any connections to get free college tuition in Canada? But what you want me or what you want is a place that you can go kayaking between class. That's what you need. Because you can go anywhere in the summer. You can take your summer vacation. You just need a place you can go paddling between class. Don't you get sick of the green? No. Come on. No, I never get sick, sick of the green. No, never. Never one time. Never, ever, ever one time. I want to go right now. I should get off of this podcast <laughs> and go right now. Um, this comes at us from Corey Spores. Uh, this is a first-time caller, long-time listener for Weld. I'm new to the art of slalom. Talk to me about the pros and cons of slalom-specific paddle, uh, like G-Power or 
uh, some that Werner makes and what makes a good slalom blade and why. Thanks, guys. Keep it up. Corey from New Mexico. I mean, Geltman could probably... Yeah. Better. We, we could even wait. You know, we need to do a, another made, a how, how Things Made segment. And I want to get uh, a paddle maker in here from Werner. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that Werner does not make a slalom-specific paddle or a slalom or paddle that would be appropriate for slalom racing. Um, I mean, the differences are going to be, it's going to be really, really, really stiff. So all your power is going, you know, straight into moving the boat, not into flexing the paddle. It's going to be really, really light. They're going to break really easily. And the edges of the blades are going to be really thin. So it feathers really nicely. And there's going to be like a lot more attention to how the paddle feathers compared to basically any whitewater paddle out there. And so it's going to feel like unbelievably good. You're going to break them and if you're hitting rocks, all of that energy is going straight to your shoulders. So who are so, the big slalom paddle makers right now in the U.S.? I mean, that, what, I is, what is... They're probably the, known in the U.S. No, what's Davy Hearn carry over at uh, Suikam or whatever? The, the Seasol paddles anymore? I have no idea. Yeah, where's Gala Sport? Sylvan and Sports Gala Sports. Yeah. Um, those are Czech, I believe, or Slovakia. Yeah. He sells paddles. Um, those are great paddles. I mean, I don't, I don't even know anymore. Double Dutch, Letman... Um, yeah, like G Power, Rob. I don't know. What would you call an Adachi? Is that like a blend between like a river running paddle and a slalom paddle? Where where would you categorize that that blade? That's just a, that's just a river running paddle. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I mean there there was this. years they, ago there was there was a there was Keith Backlund. Listen, Mister Interrupter. Making, <laughs> yeah, hold on a second, before, hold on a second Mister Well, before, before we get to we Valley Mill back here. To, to back in the twenties. <laughs> When I first started paddling, okay. we I used the differences between the Odachi two by fours. You know, the Odachi is it's really light for sure, but the edges on the blades are really thick, so it doesn't feather like all that great compared to a real slalom paddle, and it's much more flexible, much more flexible. So I, I but like the blade shape and kind of that offset scoop that it has, that's influenced by you know really like the Galasport Manic, which is their. Basically, Gallisport took the slalom blades and made that manic, which is kind of a heavier, more river-running worthy version of a slalom blade shape. And if you're looking for something that's going to feel the most like a slalom paddle that is strong enough to run rivers with, I would say that's your ticket or maybe one of those Letmans. But I, I use those Gallisport manics, and I think they're great. So anyway, sorry, go ahead, Wells. No, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a stupid point. I was going to say there was a there was a point in time where river running paddles were kind of just rectangular pieces of wood. That was it. And then Backlund started making like the slasher blade, which definitely looked more like a slalom blade. And the and that's where whitewater paddles started to look like slalom blades. But really, that's as far as they got. They just look like them. You, you know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like those the what are, like the other foam core warners. Those were pretty derived from those blades that uh, Shipley designed when Werner had that like little feather fast sub brand. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think those are pretty similar, but I mean the slalom blades have progressed a lot since then. I mean that those Warners are gonna feel like a you know like a slalom blade from 20 years ago, but I mean they're good for what they're for for sure. 
Well, moving on, this comes from Jake Cooper. This is uh, directed toward Lewis. Um, it says, Hey, fellas, it was a few episodes ago that you guys were discussing paddling crews' names and the formula for creating such titles. Lewis shit all over Dim Boys Media Cartel. <clears throat> While we certainly respect the opinions of elderly persons living on the other side of the country, it didn't sit particularly well with us. It did get us thinking, though. What would Geltman suggest we be called? We want to know. In fact, we demand to know, and if we like it, we may just use it. Cheers, Jake. Oh, Jake. <laughs> demand to know, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that the Dem Boys media cartel flitted briefly across my consciousness with Dave Fusilli, and I, I'm, I don't think I'm the man to participate in your... Uh, rebranding process, but I, I wish you luck. <laughs> I think that's what you sh- that should be uh, our uh, our corporate entity name if they ever drop it. <laughs> Dim Boys Media <laughs> Hammer Factor, incorporated in Delaware. Yeah, I love Dim Boys Media Cartel presents <laughs> the Hammer Factor. Uh, I love our listener mail. Okay, this comes from John Harding. I want to thank you guys for hitting offset and length so hard again and again. It finally beats <laughs> some sense into me. Just got my new 202 45 degree Shogun, and I'm loving it. It's perfect for laying treats. Thank you. 42 episodes. Revolution has started. I feel like I did right. something. I feel like finally right. I had an impact. You saved your life. Jeez. So thank you, John. <laughs> you now have a free subscription to the Hammer Factor podcast. Um, Man, I when I read that email, I couldn't decide if he was being sarcastic or not. I guess I'll see <laughs> I'm, dude, I'm just going for the I'm hoping for the best on that one because that, that made me feel good um, Chris Danielson says love me some hammer factor listening makes me want to buy IR gear and run the green or upper yak in a party wrap with a 200 centimeter paddle of some experimental offset experimental <laughs> <laughs> don't even want to hear what you guys think of our local New Mexico rivers and creeks it's already hard enough to get people on the river without listening to whining about flat water, cold or mank, especially with BV and the Ark gleaming like El Dorado a few hours north. People up there paddle every day, even during the week. On another note, where can we find the boat reviews that went out in the newsletter? I'm having trouble getting the links and old emails to work. Can you guys repost them somewhere? Love it. Yeah. Keep Grace. it going, Chris. <laughs> Could you repost those, please? <laughs> have you ever paddled in New Mexico? Anybody? I have never paddled in New Mexico. Have you? From the Taos box. You oh. did? I've done yeah. that. I've done the Taos box, too. I take that back. Was I it have. good? It was. It was high as shit when we were there. It was kind of scary. I'm picturing, like, chocolate milk, muddy water, and, like, brush running down the river, maybe a, a dead, like, antelope or something floating by every... 20 minutes. No? <laughs> you guys ever oh. heard of that Christopher Creek? God, do I. God, I am the worst. I just crap on everybody. <laughs> I went down there and it was like, yeah, it was, I was by myself and I, cause I couldn't get anybody to paddle with me and it was kind of low and I remember it being like a little bit scary by myself, like a little bit like civvy and all the rocks were really sharp, huh. but it was pretty. It was not cool. bad. You're just as bad. I would do it again for sure, man. Idaho. I've made that clear. <laughs> and I want to run the Embudo. I've always heard that that's super cool, but I think it has a really short season. And the Bravo, that sounds like a pretty cool mission. But, but those are in New Mexico. Yeah, that's what we're, that's talking. we're talking about. Oh, I've done all those runs. 
Team weed over there. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> buy you books and I buy you books. Um, oh, man. We're kind of over time. We've got a great email from Tim Kennedy here. Um, another rep. Tim yep. and, uh Tim Kennedy, he's an old Hoppal guy. Yep. <laughs> he's got some great points about Colorado and whatnot. But what I want to get to on an unrelated note, I have assembled quite a quiver of vintage boats. Let me know if you want me to do a boat review or compare some of some outdated long boats or playboats to modern design. Here's a list of what I have. This is quite impressive. Perception. He has a Sabre, an Eclipse, a Dancer XT, a Corsica, a Wavehopper, a 3D, and a Slasher C1. Phoenix. Phoenix. You guys probably know this. Most of our listeners don't even know of that brand. A Slipper, a Cascade, a Savage, a Wildfire, a Dagger Outburst, a New Wave Sleek, a Savage Scorpion, a Hydra Dragonfly 2, Prion, something I can't even say, Whitewater Boat, all kinds of things. Tim, we do want that. I want that. I want to compare. That would be cool. That would be super cool. So thank you so much for your note. I got to say so many boats on that list. I just like, I cannot envision the circumstances under which I would reach into the quiver and be like, I'm breaking out the Mirage today. It's going to be super. <laughs> I'm breaking out the perception C1. He has a perception, does he have a perception C1 in there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be, at least that would be kind of fun. But like some of those boats, it's like, man, like all, all I can think of when I see that is just, thank God we don't have to paddle this thing anymore. <laughs> you know? I, I, the first time on the green, I was in Noah Jetty. <laughs> that was a boat that was ahead of its time. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was in a prototype. The first time I ran the green, I was in a prototype for the Wavesport Frankenstein that was the Wavesport Micro X with stern crush so you could do pivot turns in it. Sick. <laughs> uh well thank you so much everybody for the uh for the listener mail. I <laughs> we enjoy reading these and we don't have time to get to all of these here on the show today, but these are some really good ones. I love it. I just love it that there's uh, people that passionate about whitewater out there coming out of the woodwork. Okay, let's get Olaf on the show. But before we do, I want to give a huge shout out to our feature interview sponsor. This is a new level we have here at the Hammer Factor, uh, Canoe and Kayak. Canoe and Kayak has been leading the paddle sports media hustle for 45 years, now reaching a half million paddlers every month. With in-depth articles like the digital feature um, that features a trip that Olaf went on in Kyrgyzstan, which I'll link to in the show notes, there's no more compelling way to get your paddle sports beta than CNK. Check them out at canoekayak.com and on Instagram at canoekayakmag. Really cool feature article there in the show notes. I'll link that to it. All right, let's get into Olaf here. Olaf, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, yeah. All right, there we go. How's it going, Olaf? Uh, welcome to the Hammer Factor. You're on with Lewis Geltman, John Weld, and myself. And uh, I'd like to give a little introduction to Olaf. Um, Olaf, so you have been in the whitewater scene for a long time. I was looking at some things on the internet. 1988 was your first road trip to the Alps. All the way through to 2013, um, another run of the Grand Canyon, the Stikine, at 44 years of age. Um, can you just give us a little insight into kind of your paddling history and how you got into um, making movies? 
Hello? Can you <laughs> can you hear me, Olaf? Hey, can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, there we go. Um, can you give us a little history of how you got into uh, paddling, how you got into filmmaking, and, 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 and kind of your path to right here on the Hammer Factor right now? How much time do you have? <laughs> as much time as you need, Olaf. Uh, it's about, about uh, my whole life. Um, actually, I'm 47 now, but it doesn't matter how much. Not the big difference. Um, my parents were already in the kayaking, and um, I, I grew up in the classic um, canoe club in Germany. And we did more touring, kayaking, easygoing. And um, when I was 14, I was more into kayaking a little bit white water, and my parents supported me. And that's how it started. And um, filming started in um, 90, 1987. A friend of mine had an 8mm camera and he asked me if I can film him. And um, yeah, that's how it started. And so before we get into uh, the news about the sick line and, and, and kind of those <laughs> announcements, what uh, what... What is the what's the favorite place you've been to? Where where is the the, the best expedition? What's the best expedition you've ever been on? The favorite place was actually the Galapagos Islands, but <laughs> <laughs> that was not the exciting expedition. Oh, I cannot tell. It's more um, about the people who are on the journey. I think it doesn't matter where you're going, as long um, you have good friends with you, all will be good. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really... I've done so many expeditions, and I would say 99% were really awesome because of the team of the guys who are with me. Can, um, can you give our viewers who don't know anything about uh, your paddling career just a brief rundown of some of the more, in your opinion, significant trips and expeditions you've been on? Um, actually, my, my first uh, um, real expedition was in '95. We went to Malawi in Africa. There's a, a big lake, and the river flows out of the lake is called Shiri. And we did a multi-day kayaking trip. And um, as you can imagine, in <clears throat> Africa, we have a lot of crocs and hippos, and they're really um, attacking us. That was uh, I would not do it again. <laughs> <laughs> that was my start really to expedition. I went before to um, PC and to Costa Rica, but that was more kind of holiday kayaking adventures, not a full-on expedition. Yeah. Then, of course, I had to work in between, um, and I started really with expeditions um, 2000 to the Stikine. Uh, but we were, uh, 2000 was too high. We just did the upper and the lower part, a multi-day kayaking trip, and 2001 we came back and paddled the Stikine. And I think, the, and as you know, the big difference to the time was the informations. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Now, yeah, I mean, informations helps to, to be successful and safe on an expedition. Of course, we had contact to Doug Emmons and he wrote us a script about all the rapids. But still, there was a lot of um, unexpected things. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. 
And then you've uh, recently just got back from a uh, trip to uh, to Tajikistan. Is that right? Right. Yeah, yeah. And so, what was that mission all about? I saw that you were with Eric Boomer, and and, and what what were you guys up to there? That was more like a long term project from Thomas Mannix, the triple ground of uh, Russia of the ex Soviet Union states, and there are three legendary rivers. One is the Bashkaus in the Altai Mountains in Russia. One is the Tsarjas in Kyrgyzstan in the Tian Shan Mountains. And the last one on our list was the Muksu in the Pami Mountains in Tajikistan. And, and how, now we have... Yeah. And how was that trip? Um, if I would recommend one of those three rivers, I would recommend the Muksu. The Bashkaus is great as well, but the Mukshu is the best package of adventure and um, good quality of whitewater kayaking. Real quick, what was? How many days was that river? Was it a big volume? Give us a, a little lay of the land there. Yeah, it's a big volume river. I think um, two American teams has been there before. One was Team Beer. <laughs> <laughs> They did the, the, um, I think they did the Bashkaus and the um, Chargers as well. And um, it's um, you have to hike in. Not anymore. Let's build a road now, but, but we didn't know about that. <laughs> we had not enough fuel in our car, so we had to walk a little bit. <laughs> but if you plan to pass the Muxu, there's all the dirt road going in, so it makes it much more easier now. And you're on high altitude. To put it is on four thousand meters. Oh wow! How many? How many feet? Twelve thousand or something? A little bit yeah. more. Yeah, it's high. Yeah. And um, it's um, forty kilometers on the creek with really low water. Two boats were broken. <laughs> it was <laughs> really funny. And um, then there's the source of the Muxu is a big glacier. It's the um, Pechenko Glacier. It's 70 kilometers long and two to three kilometers wide. It's a really huge one. And that's the reason why you only can, only can paddle the Muxu in the late season, September or beginning of October. Because in the summertime, it's crazy high flows there. And it's, um, you have um, 90 kilometers on the Muxu. And there's a eight kilometer section where you're in a ward in a box canyon. How many days did that take you? Um, it took us. Uh, the whole mission was to get to the river where we left the cars was uh, four days, and then another four days paddling, or eight days. Very cool. And, uh, yeah. Do Do we have weld on this car? Are you still there, John? Yeah. You cannot, you cannot see me? No, nah, I can't see you, but it's all good. Um, so let's get into uh, the Adidas Sick Line race. A lot of us know uh, about the Sick Line. Can you kind of back up before we uh, get too deep into it and explain like where you came, how this event came to fruition and what it is? It, it started uh, already 2006. It was a um, really small event, an invitational event, just with 50 kayakers. And this was more born out of a protest because there were plans to, to, build, the, to build a big dam in the valley. 
die did 2005 already we did um, two protest events there against the dam but um, it's easier to get positive media with um, events or with races with extreme races instead of having peddlers running around with banners and don't fuck off dams <laughs> you you um, you always need to um, to involve the people that are living in the valley you need to you need to be on your side that you can do anything against the plants and of course uh, race um, offers different possibilities if the race is getting bigger it's coming more tourism in the valley and tourism is money that's really important key and that's uh, actually how it started and we had a really good outcome on the first race with media and uh, that was actually the beginning and so when did Adidas come on board and when did it become the uh, Extreme Race World Championship? Where did that idea come from? Um, I just came already right from the beginning, from 2006 on board with a really little investment. And then um, 2007 uh, was already one year later um, the idea born to, to try Extreme Kayaking World Championships. Unfortunately, 2007 um, we were high water, so the race was cancelled. And the first official race was in uh, 2008. And so, what's your role? Are you the race organizer? Are you the media guy? What is What exactly were you doing with the race? Taking the money. Lux <laughs> <laughs> and what else? I can't remember. So, <laughs> uh, in my dreams, maybe. Um, no, there's actually an agency is um, hired from Aldas is doing the uh, organization, and I would say I'm more like a consulting for the um, for the um, kayaking part, of course, for the race course, for the white water. And as well for the TV production for filming. And so, did you pitch it to them? Were you the pitch guy? How did how did they get involved? Um, yeah, when we um, 2006, um, I did the race with a friend of mine, and we and a lot of friends helped us. It was um, similar to your green race. It was more kind of friendship. Friendship. Every friends were helping to make it happen. And 2007, when the agency started to organize it. Um, was the idea to have it more professional and I was somehow really happy about it. For example, um, I don't know how it's in the States with insurances, but it's a big deal here <laughs> over in Europe. And uh, we had, uh, for example, um, insurance uh, who covered the costs um, after the high water for the whole event because the agency had an insurance of mm. if the water is too high, then the insurance will pay the costs because all the um, media was there, uh, all the TV cameras, so a lot of work was already done and, of course, needed to pay. And, um, well, 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 backing up real quick. So you started the event and then there was a handover to this agency. Did, did, yeah, you, well, did you hand that over or, like, how did that happen? That was an arrangement with Adidas. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay, okay. And, and, okay, I got you. Okay, and then the event grew and grew and grew from there. And then, uh, what happened here in 2018? What's what are you? What well, did it did did the uh, did the event work in the sense that there's no dam there? Uh, did the dam plan stop completely, or, or now that it's over, they're going to build a dam now? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting waiting. 
Um, actually, about the dams, I don't know. That's um, it's um, rumor. I heard rumors they uh, have plans again to do it, but uh, it's pretty hard to say anything about it. And um, I think Idas was uh, kind of trying to make a little break, so maybe the cycle will happen next year again. And uh, I don't know what to say much more about it. <laughs> it was of course not so easy to find new investors uh, that quick. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say putting money into a kayak race is an investment. I'm not sure if that's the right <laughs> word. <laughs> <laughs> That would be the next step would be you would be able to basically take the event back from Adidas or from that consulting company and find new new sponsors and I'm still working I'm working together with the consulting company it's not that uh, we are split or something it's um, yeah but it's of course it's uh, um, difficult to do a step back to do a little more Grassroot event again, maybe it will happen in the future, um, but I don't know actually. So, will there be a race this year? No, no race this year. No. No race this year. Okay. How much money was Adidas putting into it uh, every year? Do you think, or can you say, or is it? I don't have an idea about exact numbers, but um, I think there was a press release somewhere uh, where they um, was written down the investment, but. Uh, that was always all the money he was doing the agency. Yeah. What was that number? I, I heard something about two hundred fifty thousand euros is the cost of the event. And is that which would be probably the best funded whitewater event there is, right? I mean, I can't think of a whitewater event that has that kind of investment. To use that word. I don't. Maybe can't lose some of championships. Uh, quite good investment as well, though. The, the yeah, that's a good point. Which uh, yeah. What what event was that, Olaf? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Kanu Slalom. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very I good. I don't know about freestyle. Uh, some freestyle events are quite big. Some world championships. So there was talk on this show in the past about having a world championship, and this was particularly kind of Lewis's um, talk here. And so <laughs> I'll let him. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I'll go ahead and introduce this because I feel like Lewis is going to try and weasel his way out of it. But Lewis was pretty clear on saying that uh, calling this a world championships was maybe a bit, I don't know, a bit of an overreach. And he felt like there maybe there should be other events that, that could that vie for that title. Or Lewis, go ahead and why don't you pick no, up? No, that's Ronald. right. I mean, I, I guess what I'd, I'd like to hear from Olaf how, you know, how that came to be that you decided to call it the Cycline World Championships. And I guess uh, my point was just in the spirit of banter was, you know, other other disciplines, the World Championships has, you know, a lot more structure around moving the event around the world and who's decision-making and things like that. Yeah, but as more people you have involved in decision-making, it makes complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> so we, you will lose for sure control. Um, of course, you can. I mean, there are many reasons to complain about it, and you can say, okay, the, this whitewater course or this race, the whitewater is much harder as on the thick line. But I mean, can I say I'm tired about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you certainly can. But, <laughs> but, but, but indulge, lay it out. I mean, 
Olaf, lay it out. Whatever you're thinking, this is your <laughs> lay it out it's right now. We want to do. It's good that people are complaining or starting discussion, but of course that helps you as well to to review your own opinion about the event. But um, I mean, it's probably from the competition field one of the hardest ways, so the hardest ways to win in the last years. I mean, that's for sure. Not not sure, or we can discuss if this is enough to have a world champion title or what. How will you describe what is the what you need for world championships? You need a good starter field, and of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I think that the point about having a really deep field there is is a good one. Maybe a lot of but people we... were complaining because it's uh, kind of arrogant or it's from Adidas, but I mean, doesn't really doesn't really care anything about it or. Don't know. Yeah, take the bull by the horns. I mean the the um, yes. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you the. I mean, let me. The, the one last thing that the sorry the I think the S D three enjoyed it to come. That's the most important. No, I agree with you there. So let me ask you this, uh, Olaf. Do you think that there is some validity to having a extreme world championship that uh, competes on different venues? That would be, of course, would be. Uh, nice to have a, a world championship that's moving from different uh, um, spots or venues. Well, I think Just, you sh- I think you should go to this consulting company and come up with a new pitch, and I'll work with you on it, and we can move the world championship to some different venues, and uh, and and we can go from there. I don't think we should I don't think we should let Adidas out of this. We got to hold we got to hold their uh, hold them to the flames on this. Who do we call? We did you hurt. know that? Did, did you know that IR is the world champion of gear manufacturing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'd be a perfect match. To be honest. I thought it's nice. <laughs> I mean, you know, you've been in this sport for a long time, Olaf. You came to the Green Rays, stayed at my house. You know, you've made tons of movies. Big inspiration to me. Lots of other people. I mean, there's few other people that have the resume you've built up. What you know? Okay, so sick line. This event's not happening. Um, but extreme racing is a real thing. It's not going away. What, what do you personally, if you could just have whatever you want, blank check, how would you make the event? How would you make the world championship of extreme kayaking? Would, would, uh, would you, you know, and, and back up, would you just do it at the, at the same, same rapid that it's been on? What would you do if you could, if, if money was not an option, what would your vision be? Keep in mind, the only answer he's going to take is saying you're going to move to the green and be yeah. done with it. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. You can try. <laughs> um, um, I really like the competitions um, where you have as well a slalom and kind of more around, like maybe a kayak course as well, like more like a kayaking festival style. This. Um, different options for all the characters who are coming to the festival. Um, that's what I really would like to do more instead of uh, having a world championship, but that was not your question. For a world championship, um, of course, it would be nice to have a uh, little more difficult race course. I like the, I like the distance of the race course, one win or one minute, because of it's um, pretty easy to follow. You can you can see the almost the start and the finish. 
and that makes it the whole event really um, quick and attractive instead of waiting the green is around five minutes huh, before you know the next next result for example huh? yeah. that, that's what I really like on the sick line or on this available race course but you could do it on many courses in the world for sure I think you don't need to be super extreme kind of if it's too scary for the media or, or if it's more looking out of control as having control it's uh, probably uh, the wrong way yeah what about what about locations if you could pick if you could go the next five years and you could have and you were fully in charge and you had a budget to do it what would be your five locations over the next five years you'd have your event uh, the minus rapids on Zambezi Okay, I like it. Um, um, something, yeah, the, the, what I really would think would a good race would be the Teigdal Norway from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that would be a little bit longer one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't get that done in 60 seconds. <laughs> and, um, or maybe not, of course, Norway, there are many options. Um, hmm. Davis Bluff in New Zealand would be good, I think. Ah, that would be a good one. Or um, um, Hooker Falls. It's Hooker Falls, yeah? Yeah. But it's a little bit short, huh? And um, so, um, hmm, something South America on the Baker, maybe? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but they, I think they would all complain because too much flat water in between the rapids. Mm. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I think about this all the time, so I'm just trying to get your your opinion on it. Of what, like the top? How about linking? How about linking like four races, existing races right now together to make a world championship? Yeah, I mean, so I uh, really like as well the. Um, um, it's the North Fork Championships huh? on the... Um, North Fork the Payette. No, no, okay, that's on the, the other one is on the... Ah, um, um, oh, sorry, the name. Is this in the States? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's in the States. That's uh, near Hood River the, um, on, on Spirit. On the Little White? Oh, little White, yeah, Little White ways. Yeah, here yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think it's a really good race course as well. <clears throat> and... Um, of course, the green race. I mean, if you're looking at, as well, it's good to have um, existing races. The green race may be a little bit too long in the beginning. Go left or die, huh, is it? Yeah, from there. You need, you need, you need some short races and some longer races to see who has, you know, better racing, longer, you know, longer courses. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah, right. Um, it's maybe uh, you won't have always Sam Sutton on the podium then. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, um, no, that's of course don't need to be one minute. I mean, well, can... I hate to put you on the spot about that, but we banter about this every single show, so I figure there's no better person to have in the conversation. <laughs> Um, so what's next, so what you, Olaf? Oh, sorry, well, John. What well, were you going to say? Well, I'm sorry. What do you do for a living right now that allows you to do all this stuff? What I'm doing for a living, um, the coke and prostitutes. It <laughs> 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 <That> works well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, um, 
I'm doing mainly my talks. I have around um, 30 talks in Germany. We're going to kayak shops or canoe clubs, and um, then I'm showing a movie and I'm talking like uh, about the adventure. That's um, one of my main business. Can can we shift gears yeah. here one second and talk about the clubs, the kayak and canoe clubs in Germany? Like they're 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 a pretty tight organization there, as far as I know. And here, it's a pretty loose thing. The the club organization. What what's the club organizations like there? They are all connected to the federation, to the German Canoe Federation, and of course, um, a lot of clubs have as well racing, mainly uh, the Olympic formats, fat water racing and canoe slalom. But as well, we have downriver clubs that are focused on downriver. And um, I think that's a long traditional uh, tradition in Europe, in France as well. They have a strong club scene. They have a lot of uh, canoe clubs in France and in the UK as well. Well, in case it's different, they have as well the um, university clubs. And uh, in Germany, it's like, yeah, I mean, they have a long, long traditional long tradition in kayaking so for example my parents they build up the club by their own there with friends they started uh, they built the clubhouse and um, every 10 years the clubhouse was getting bigger and that's uh, how it started in a lot of lot of kayaking clubs here in germany how many people are in clubs in germany how many club paddlers are there you think yeah the, um, the members uh, uh, between a small and a big club can be like 50 members, 400, 1,000 members, but they're not all active. So you can have a club with, with 500 uh, members, but there may be only 60 active. They are, the others are not kayaking anymore, but they are, we call it passive, passive members. Gotcha. So if you live in a town with a, with a canoe club and you're a kid, can you just walk down to the canoe club and try out kayaking for the first time? Yeah, yeah, they're offering um, courses, and normally they have as well um, yeah, kind of training two times a week, and in the winter time as well, um, uh, uh, rolling in this um, swimming pool to learn the Eskimo roll, mm -hmm. and um, it's pretty easy, and of course cheap yeah, to, to start with kayaking in a club. Normally kayaking, you need kind of invest a little bit of money, huh? or your parents have to buy your boat and all the gear. But in the clubs, for the for the first beginning, you can borrow all the stuff. In the U.S., usually you learn to kayak because your your uh, dad has a canoe and he makes you go and you cry and you hate it and you fight. <laughs> and then uh, you sit in the front of the canoe. And uh, when you're about 12 or 13, your dad gets sick of you and he gets you a kayak so you're out of his hair. <laughs> and then you become a teenager and you hate your dad and the kayak. And then later on you start kayaking because you think you might be able to piss your dad off. That's how we do it. <laughs> it's not so much a club scene. It's more of a family type thing, like a family arrangement. It's more about family arrangement. Um, <laughs> most of my <laughs> but uh, most of my friends are coming from clubs. Just, just a really little number um, was just coming, coming outside into the kind of sports. You have watching something on the um, TV, 
and then they decide that maybe it's uh, they should try it. But um, most of them are coming from clubs. <laughs> well, it makes us look pretty shabby over here, doesn't it? <laughs> we have nothing going on. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the truth. truth. We, we complain about. We love to complain about not having any clubs or kayak, you know, kayak clubs or slalom scene or racing scene. But I don't, we don't seem to do anything about it either. Yeah, but it's, a, it's a thing financial difference. Like, and most of the the sports. Um, and yes, it's financial private, I think. Uh, but the uh, assets have to find their own partners or the money. Don't know. Is it right or? Yeah, 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 yeah. For the most part. Money from the federation or? No, 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 no money like that from the federation. Unless I think you make the U.S. team, you're like the top three spots, I think, or something like that. And you get a you get a, you get a sweatshirt, I think, and <laughs> like a, yeah. like a, beer, like a styrofoam beer cozy with USA on it or something. And I'm not joking. That's about the long and short of it. That that's probably ambitious at this point. And there's two people in the country getting that sweatshirt and the beer cozy. <laughs> so does the federation pay paddlers in Germany? How does that work? Yeah, that's, um, of course you need to be in the national team that's covering the traveling costs. And how it works, they are um, they are um, not getting really paid by the federation. They're um, having a spot um, as police officer or in the army, but they don't have to go to the police or to the army. They, they get paid, but they are just going training. And I think they have some dates in the year, maybe three weeks where they have to go to some um, seminars or whatever. But in the end, they are not uh, doing the job. They are going kind of uh, training and racing. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. So you're kind of blowing our minds here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't. That's it, crazy. It's foreign territory, literally, for here in the states. Uh, back to Adidas. So Adidas is not uh, sponsoring the sick line. There's going to be a hold on sick line, presumably until another sponsor is found. Hopefully, you or other people want to see the race continue. But what does that mean for the athletes out there who are involved with Adidas, the, the, the sponsored athletes and whatnot? Is this, is this a hold on Whitewater in general, or is this just just your event, just the event? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a big company. You never know. Huh? I mean, I, I know the, the point will come when they maybe will say um, we need a break or we will stop. I'm just um, not sure if we'll continue with the support. So I don't know actually how the situation is for the whole team, but um, for sure it will be less as in the uh, past. Hmm. I hate seeing that. I hate to hear that. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, of course, of course. But somehow I can understand. I mean, if, if you look to so many companies, they're going and invest in sports and then they leave the sport again. I mean, that's, that's happened many times in many sports. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've definitely, right. I've definitely been a victim of that. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. The Hammer Factor would like to sponsor the race this year, and I think you should go ahead and do it. Can <laughs> <laughs> I call send you a check for $75? Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, ma a I'll match your $75, John. <laughs> and you get a Hammer Factor T-shirt. Oh, man. Well, what else, Olaf? Tell us some, tell us some other stories. What? what Give, give us some stories here that our viewers may want to know about Whitewater in the uh, in, in your world. 
What's interesting? What's um, I mean, I'm I'm 47 now. I changed a little bit. <laughs> At the beginning, I had around uh, yeah maybe 150 days per year where I work kayaking, and now I have on good years maybe I have 40. So I have uh, two little kids. One okay. girl, she's three year old, and one boy is five years old. I didn't know that. Congratulations. It's, it takes time as well, as you know. <laughs> How many kids do you have? Two or three? I got, He's I got, not sure. I got a whole bunch. <laughs> they're, in the ha- bunch the world, yeah? <laughs> they're in the house, man. I'll tell you. I don't know. I'm just glad they're not up here interrupting the podcast. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know, Olaf. I just would love to see you guys continue that race, figure out some way to make it happen. Sponsors come and go, man. You know this as well as I do. I'd, I'd love to see the race continue. Yeah, me as well, of course. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Lewis, you got anything else? Beer companies. Beer companies. <laughs> you guys drink a lot of beer in Germany. Get it? Can't you get like, you know, what's the big beer company over there? Get them involved. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> But this kind of changed a little bit the time. We need a beer company who is doing, uh, producing non-alcoholic beer <laughs> for a sports event. Uh, so is that kind of like a, a <laughs> is that kind of like a faux pas? You can't have beer companies sponsoring sports events. I think so. That's kind of the time changed. Wow. Like twenty years ago, nobody probably would have cared about it, but um, now. How about Red Bull? They sponsor Smoking everything company, else. <laughs> Just get Red Bull to do it. They'll do it. it yeah. <laughs> you also have one of those stupid, huge Red Bull hoops at the beginning or an inflatable thing. Yeah. <laughs> Can you drink Red Bull? I think it's terrible to, uh, to drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I can say work with us here a little bit. <laughs> I would like to would like have Red Bull as a sponsor, of course. Of course. Well, it's almost eleven o'clock at night there where uh, Olaf's at, so we'll probably let you get to bed. Do you, uh, Lewis, John, do you have anything else you'd like to dig into with Olaf before we let him get to get to sleep? Well, when Adidas is ready to put, or whoever your new sponsor is ready to put more money, and you make sure to let IR know. Uh... <laughs> well, the Hammer Factor's already putting money in. I mean, come yeah. on. Being a world champion of gear makers. <laughs> Seems really right we'd be involved with this project. Maybe we need to sell more gear in Germany somehow. I'm not sure how to do that, but I have to figure out how to sell kayaking gear in Germany. Yeah, but uh, you should talk this more in secret, don't you? Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like Maybe. secret talk. Maybe yes. other companies are listening and taking the idea. Oh, right. <laughs> No, no one listens to this. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I was really nervous about this, but good to hear it. (laughs) You know, I think it's a good thing you you guys had going on. I hope you find another sponsor and can keep the train on the tracks. You would try. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Olaf. We will talk to you later. Thanks, Olaf. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Good night, boys. Good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> that was good. Well, you know, the canoe club thing in Germany and France, man, they have it going on. Yeah, they certainly do. I mean, 
It's pretty. Have you ever seen the the actual clubs? It's not just like a club that meets oh, yeah. at the local bar. They have like a boathouse and. Oh yeah, I mean, there's like a they have like restaurants. You know, when you go to Augsburg or something like that, it's like it's a serious facility. Man, I just think they should do the event. I just I don't I don't know why you quit an event. I mean, I, I know it's a bummer to go backwards, but. I mean, if you do, you know you know exactly how the conversation are we are we is this going to be on the air? Yeah, we're recording this. Yeah. All right. Listen, just don't get all pissy with me. What you what? know exactly <laughs> how the conversation went down, Grace Adidas. Oh yeah, I know exactly how it went. Four down. years ago, there were people grumbling about it, and it got louder and louder. And finally, they're like, "All right, all right, all right, all right." Anyway, Can you imagine pitching that to Adidas every year. How tough that would be. Oh my God! You know, more power to them for getting it done, but. I don't know. I just like if Oscar Blues, How do you die? <laughs> if Oscar Blues bailed on the green race, it's not like we. I'd quit doing the green race, you know. But whatever. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? I mean, yeah, that is. You know, that is the problem with having a big ticket race like that. You, you know. Oh, I do know, one hundred percent. Yeah. Years ago, years ago, we had we had a sales rep it gave us some pretty good advice and we were really keen on getting in into REI and he said, be careful because you get these big clients and one day their business changes and they're not carrying your gear anymore. And that can ruin your business if they're a big enough customer. And and I think there's something to be said for that, but I understand it's hard to put on the race and not have the hot tubs and everything that has happened before. But you know the race needs to keep happening. You know, for I don't know. That's just my opinion. I'm not. I'm not sitting in Olaf's shoes. So, and uh, now to everyone's favorite part of the show: rants and raves. This is where your hosts go on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that stokes them out or pisses them off. Would anybody like to uh, take this segment first, Mr. Geltman? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. Mm, oh, dude, I, like I, I spent half the day yesterday full of just like murderous rage about this is I was up at Post Canyon, which is the mountain bike trail system up here behind my house, uh, just on a run. And it's way too wet up there to even be riding mountain bikes. And we're up there running and there are four guys up there on motos ripping around, <laughs> crossing on non-motorized trails, and then just hill climbing up, like, like where there's no trail, just, like, digging trenches, like, a foot deep. I mean, I was ready to go back there and throw down, and my girlfriend had uh, better judgment about it than I did, and we left, but I called the sheriff's office afterwards, and if I ever see those guys around town, I'm going to, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even say anything because, yeah. But, I mean, we, you know, I have plenty of buddies out here who are into riding moto, who ride sleds, and, I mean, I get it, but people out there who are fucking up like that, like, you're fucking it up for everybody, because it is, like, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I'm in a position to be deciding kind of some compromises on some of this stuff about motos and non-motorized access. And like right now, like I'm not in the mood to compromise about shit. Like I'm fucking pissed. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> you know? I like this. 
And it's like, if you were out there and doing that kind of thing, like you are not doing your community any favors. You know, your buddies who are into riding motos, you're not doing them any favors. And the rest of us, like you look like a fucking sociopath. It's like, what are you thinking when you're out there doing that? Like, what are you thinking about the resource? What are you thinking about the other people who are, are out there? I mean, fuck you. That's my message to those guys. Yes. And I'm going to take my rant right in line with your rant because we currently are experiencing the freeze thaw here in the Asheville area. And if you're not familiar with the freeze thaw, it's where everything's wet, it's muddy, it's frozen at nighttime, midday, it thaws out, and it's the absolute worst to be riding your bike on, your mountain bike and whatnot. Literally ruts four to five inches deep and full slop. It's the most fragile the trails can ever be. You can go riding during a thunderstorm, and it's not even a tenth of the impact as riding out on the freeze thaw. And I went out the other day, and there was hundreds of mountain bikers wearing clay mud badges of honor as they were sitting there at their cars so proud of the destruction they had just waylaid on the trail system behind the house. So I'm going to rant on people who just can't stick to the gravel or such a just incredibly selfish to go out there and just create two years worth of damage and one weekend out on the trail system so i'm right there with you lewis amen man and it's like you know i think people see you know you see videos of guys riding in the rain up on the north shore or on you know squamish or whatever and it's like it's just a different the dirt is different it's like if you live somewhere like right down here it's like just like you're talking about like if you get the freeze thaw like you're destroying trails like there are places where it's okay to ride in the rain there definitely not okay to ride in the rain if you don't know the difference stay home there you go what you got well well i got nothing now how can you have not have anything you are the master ranter of the you're the you're like how is this even you're not possible? Gonna give us, like, the, tri- the trifecta of wrath yes come on no, i need some passion i feel like everything's all right I don't know. We don't really have. I mean, there's like ten mountain bikers in the entire state of West Virginia, so we don't really have that problem. Is that going to be an issue if we're getting more Americans involved in the outdoors? Well, I think we have plenty of people involved in the outdoors here in Big, <laughs> Big Creek and around Asheville. It's not a matter of the numbers; it's a matter of just being a cocksucker. All right. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got nothing. No, you know, rant about the unicycle club or any of the stuff I see on Kara's social media feeds. Nothing. Yeah, we had a South Park. I want to give a shout out to uh, South Park uh, unicycle club. Spock. <laughs> You're right. Spock it. We have, we have like 20 members now. Every kid in this neighborhood has a unicycle now. <laughs> well, can we give a little rave about this? Let's talk about this. So what do you guys do? Let's rave about all the, is it just, youth or is their parents involved everybody out there jousting yeah, the parents are what involved you... now too yeah it's a whole thing I, I really don't understand it i really don't but it's fun you start riding a unicycle and it's kind of like a core workout uh that sounds it sounds uh, like the way people describe sup it's a great core workout <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you're right it is nothing i would recommend for anybody to do nor would uh, i invest in it nor would i <laughs> do unicycle yoga or would I make like a line of gear for unicycle? <laughs> Nothing like that. Have you, uh, you got really good at doing wheelies on your mountain bike or doing manuals now that you're a unicycle? No, my balance, just... my balance is a lot better on a bike, though, for sure. Like, nice. we've been taking our unicycles out on trails and stuff near our house, doing like mountain unicycling. 
it's a showstopper. People go running by and they just kind of stop what they're doing and take their phones out and just video us. <laughs> One of these shows. Like my eight-year-old, my eight-year-old is like riding around these trails on a unicycle. It's a scene. We're gonna dive into the never-ending hypocrisy of John Weld at some point on the Hammer Factor because it is glorious, no dude. I would, I would, t- I would tell people out there: not only is unicycling something they should never do, it's dumb, and uh, certainly do not invest any money in it or have any hope of ever thinking it's going to become an economic uh, uh, benefit to you whatsoever. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of our um, (laughs) meaningless banter here. Um, Right. (laughs) And we will see you. I feel like we covered a lot of ground today. (laughs) We did. We did good. We did good. Thank you for listening.